Good evening, everybody. GDC Hyderabad, GDC rest of India, and GDC and all the others around the world who have tuned in. Today for us is August the 15th night. It's going to be 7 evening, and it's our Independence Day. We've been free for 73 years, at least, kind of physically, but it's a great thing. 73 years as a nation, we've been free. So we just thank God for the freedoms that we enjoy because every day as we pass by, we realize how important it is. Then for the rest of the world who is not in Hyderabad, it's been raining here nonstop mm. for a f- few days. Cats, dogs, a few cows and buffaloes thrown in. <laughs> and uh, I mean the cows and the buffaloes you see on the road standing still in the rain. <laughs> and uh, it's cold, it's dingy. Mm. So that's the state outside, and it creeps into your bones too as you get older. <laughs> and then for GTC Hyderabad, GTC India know me very well, but for the rest, this is lemon tea. Okay, don't mistake the color. Lemon tea. Lemon tea okay? We are absolute <laughs> kosher, kosher <laughs> bastards. And for GTC Hyderabad, um, because every time you see us live, especially on Saturdays, you see that we haven't subscribed to the prosperity gospel at all. <laughs> we are still kosher, but this is, we have LED bulbs here and LD effect. This is uh, lockdown effect, okay? That is LED and this is LD. <laughs> Oh okay. boy. <laughs> when we are standing, we can pull up, pull in our stomachs, but you know, when we are sitting, it becomes a little difficult. Even Pastor Vijay, like, he's trying to hide, okay? <laughs> you can run, but you cannot hide. It shows, Pastor Vijay, it shows. Okay, so, <clears throat> now that I've made you all uh, relaxed, and uh, we have questions, you know, I think we are the only Q&A in the world will get some of the kind of questions we get. I don't think they ask those questions to anybody else. But we will try to go through that minefield and try to see how we can answer those questions. But this evening, as we come to the Q&A, like you have the questions and God has the answers, we need wisdom, discernment from God to answer your questions. And when we don't look at the camera, remember... We stayed off this camera for 12 years, so we are still not used to it, okay? Mm. And we are still, okay, once in a while we will look at the camera, but we know you are there. Mm. And Pastor Vijay, could you start with prayer? And then we will go to the questions for today. Father, we just want to thank you once again, Father, for this evening. Thank you, Lord. Father, for your faithfulness. Yes, Lord, we come to our Heavenly Father. And Lord, you know everything that we go through. Father, so many people have sent questions. We only know the questions, but you know them personally. You know them individually. You know what each of them is going through. And therefore, Father, this evening, grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we will be vessels in your hand. And Lord, that you would, Lord, take control, that you would animate us, your spirit would animate us, and Lord, that you would speak through us to your people. And Lord, that you, that Lord, every one of us would know the truth and the truth will set us free. To that end, I pray that you would bless even this entire session. Father, perfect all the gifts that you've given to us. Let your name and your name alone be glorified in everything that we do. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Richard. So the first question that we will be looking at is, 
from a young believer who is no longer young, I believe. She is really, really growing in the Lord. When I walk among the crowd of people and I see each of them, this works comes to my mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then I wonder, can we really love them all like the word says? Okay, say we love our family, friends and the people we know. But shouldn't it affect us when we, when these, when those crowd go through troubles if we really love them? Because I believe if God rejoices over one soul, He may mourn over one lost soul. Or am I not understanding the concept of neighbor here? Question is, who is my neighbor? <laughs> who is my neighbor? <clears throat> so Jesus answered that question in who is the neighbor, but you now people have these questions and this is a question we deal with every day. But it's, it's a big frame. Okay, this is a big frame. And uh, one thing we need to realize is we are individuals and we are also a corporate body. Even as a corporate body, no corporate body can meet all the needs of the world. Hmm. Okay, okay. And as an individual too. So let me first put it to the big picture God is talking about. And uh, these are the two hinges we say the door hangs on. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Now the problem is when you think about that word love, the question is love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is what do that, what is that you want for yourself? Hmm. Is the first question. Because that will again define how oh, you, you love, love your, your neighbor. neighbor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you will see that you have so many activities in the society, all kind of things happening and it's always an outpouring of what you want. And here God comes and changes the whole thing in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the first thing, what God shows us, the most important thing is not the material, mm. which is temporal. The most important thing is the spiritual that is eternal. Oh, yes. So the great commission <coughs> is go to the ends of the earth and preach this gospel. That's the first thing. That is the first thing, primary thing. Of course, because people are in the physical, when you see somebody hungry, somebody naked, somebody cold, uh, that appeals to our senses first. And the Bible is very clear. James talks about yes. it. says, if you can, you should meet that need. Mm. But beyond that, what is the greatest need? The greatest need is the need of the gospel. <coughs> That's the greatest thing that anybody can do. And when you look at that neighbor, that is your primary concern. Your primary concern is because how long can I feed somebody? How long can I clothe somebody? There's always a limit to it. But what I see personally is there is one who is never limited to that. That is Christ Jesus. For me, <clears throat> the great liberating message ever is the gospel. That if I can take a person, let us say person A, and connect him in a vibrant manner to Christ Jesus. And from there will flow which will change his entire life. And that's what Christ did. We tell 12 people, one betrayed, one left, and on the day of Pentecost, 120 people. And that 120 people changed the world. The world, what it is today, is a result of how Jesus 
did his ministry and trusted 120 people. And that's how you have to look at it. And each one personally has to find his slot in the body of Christ. Mm. Okay, has to find your own slot. In the natural, yes, you're walking on the road, you see a beggar, it doesn't matter, you feed him, you give him whatever, that is a, that's a day-to-day whatever, but more than that, you have to find your slot in the kingdom of God. That's how you find, you take care of your neighbor. And actually, let me tell you, for me, the pattern always, as I go back and I study and I learn, is that the pattern is Jesus Christ. And I look at his pattern in the Bible, you will realize he found his purpose in his prayer closet. He found his purpose in his prayer closet. He heard it very clearly from his father what he needed to do each day. And therefore, I believe every night he was a very satisfied man when he walked in the flesh. Very satisfied man in the flesh. Okay. Some days were packed with ministry. Some days were packed with teaching. Some days were packed traveling. All these things were there in his life. But every day he heard from his father. So he kept commandment number one first and then two followed. In the world, if you take God out, you have only one commandment. Love your neighbor. And then it becomes a very warped world. Mm. Okay, very warped world. All around the world you hear about loving your neighbor, that you should accept this lifestyle and that lifestyle. And they will say it is written, love your neighbor as yourself. But they don't understand, love God first. Mm. Okay, so these two has to be put together. So this, to this young child, I would say is that really have a vibrant prayer life where you actually encounter God. A prayer life and a word life where you hear from God. And then you will realize, like we are here, there are so many things in the physical we can do. But what has God actually asked us to do? God has asked us to teach. Now, if I leave that and go around doing all the other, so many people will say, thank you, sir, thank you, pastor. But I am not really loving my neighbor the way God wants me to do it because he has gifted us in a very particular way. The best way I can be functional and a blessing in the kingdom of God is to use that gift. So each one has to discover their gift. What has God gifted me with? And then give it, give your everything for that gift to work out. And that's what God is telling Timothy through Paul. Paul, you received a gift, but you're not using, you're a good guy. But you're not using your gift. Stir up that gift back to flames. No, God doesn't just send people without gifting them. Because this is the work of Christ. This is not the work of man. This is the work of Christ. So God first calls a person. God saves a person. God empowers a person. God gifts a person. And then when you go out and you will realize it is easy. It is easy. But... You give your everything into that. And each day you will realize if you learn to go by that, there is satisfaction. That is what we call actual job satisfaction. And loving your neighbor then becomes practical. And some people I know, I'm not mentioning names. Some people, when they came to the Lord, they understood. This is what I've been called to. I've been called to pray. And you, you, I haven't heard from them. I hear them from once in six months, seven months. And the seven months, when they, they get into their prayer closet, They fast most of the time. They eat a few meals, but all they do is in the prayer closet and intercede. You tell me, the world will never see them, but Mm -hmm. these are the ones who really love their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Really, really. And because of their prayers, so many things may be happening which we don't even know about. Okay? 
and people may look at them and say what a waste but it's not a waste it's not a waste they are the most, some of the most fulfilled people in the kingdom of god living now so you have to find your slot each one has to find your slot and then you will find you know the problem is you could be in a secular job like we have people in the secular job that's okay it's a secular job but even in the secular job god has called you to do something and when you do that even within your secular job that is where your satisfaction comes from because you know you know you know your father is pleased with you the father is pleased with you okay that's why 30 years jesus was lived uh, incognito life nobody knew him other than in nazareth but when he came out of the water the father said i am well pleased with you well pleased with you okay so what that life that's that's the only thing that matters god has to say he's pleased with us and bible says it comes by faith without faith it is impossible so, and faith comes from hearing so there is a love, life will live precepts and there's a life that live by hearing and god doesn't have to tell it every day every day morning god does not have to wake me and say no remember james i have called you to teach no he told me long time back and then he narrowed it down and made it very clear i have called you to strengthen believers i haven't called you to do evangelism so that makes it made much more clear you've been placed in the body of christ as a teacher of the word of god to strengthen believers now i don't have to wake up every morning and say lord uh, should i teach or not that's my calling mm. that's my calling okay that's my calling and then and there's a gift that comes with the calling it makes it is in the same way for everybody everybody you know everybody and then only thing you look at the blocks in your life what is blocking me from becoming effective those are the things okay that has got to do with relationships relationships your close relationships you have to be very careful about it because when you have a issue in your relationship it starts affecting not your work your ministry there's a work and there's a ministry like let's say i am a teacher in a college that's my work but there is a ministry the ministry is not flowing because there is a block in the spiritual realm so mm. these are things we need to be very very careful about it the work will not because the work is very technical you can be an excellent lecturer give a lecture on shakespeare and come back but you are not able to really minister to your students mm-hmm. you are not minister to your students and you need realize you are going there to minister to your students to as a servant of christ and that got blocked because of other blocks so these are the fundamentals we need to realize you know these things we guard these things we bear see everybody is ministering but i believe it's very ineffective compared to the way you see jesus and then you see paul i always say paul and i don't say the other apostles because we have only record of a few apostles but when you see the blocks with barnabas and the blocks with peter you will see they had a relationship problem but paul did not have he always was very clear he treated the jews and the gentiles in the same way so this will bring a block relationships can bring a block to your ministry therefore peter is there called years earlier and paul is there called years later but god is able to more effectively use paul than peter if you look into the record available it's got to do with relationships with your neighbor how we treated the neighbors the jewish and the gentile believers in the same body and it becomes a block it becomes a block the problem is by the time peter learns and changes all around time has passed by mm. time waits for neither for peter or paul mm. time is not waiting for anybody we all have been given a limited slice of time to be as effective as possible so we watch relationships and we see whether ministry is flowing or not 
Because you're not talking about work. You're talking about ministry. Amen. And ministry is completely the work of God that outflows or flows through us as persons. So that's what I would like to tell that child. You know, so so is even, even, mm. even, in your, even in the church, the neighbor gets even more well-defined because the neighbor is your next person in the church, in the it, body it, of Christ. It is concentric circles and Jesus made it very clear. Jerusalem, Judea, Judea. Samaria. Right. Jerusalem and Judea are the Jewish community. Yes. Okay, that's from where the gospel began. Samaria goes to the the mixed multitude, Jews who married Gentiles. So you have, and then to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. So it goes like that. And the Bible is very clear about it. It says when you want to really help, and you have two people sitting over there with the same condition, one is a believer and one is an unbeliever. The Bible actually tells, help the believer house first. Of faith. The house of faith first. Yes. House of faith first. That's the way. That's the way. Okay, that's the way it is. So the Bible is clear about these things and we need to, the, the church in the book of Acts did not go around taking care of everybody's widows and orphans. They took care of their own first. Yes. And that was their testimony when they looked and said, hey, look at this church. You know what? Their widows are taken care of. Their orphans are taken care of. Okay, they looked at and like look at the Gentile widows and Gentile orphans. They're wandering around, starving, begging. Well, these ones, so they realized there is life here. There is life here and there is no life there. These are the fundamentals we have to look at it, how you take care of your neighbor. Yes, Pastor Vijay. I think uh, question five will sign, kind of uh, flow through this maybe. Uh, we look at that and it says... And child in Sikkim, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says, question five says, are we wrong if we get upset with a family member? Then we hear from God, apologize and start reading and praying the praying. The word. Is it wrong that we do it in the space of few minutes? Is there a time limit we must have to actually go back and pray and forget about what happened? <laughs> Is it wrong? <laughs> oh, no, no. Don't put, uh, make it so difficult. Okay? We are not under the law or anything. Okay? Uh, it is wrong if you don't get upset with certain family members. Mm-hmm. And it is wrong if you get f- upset with certain family members. I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> Is this from the middle? There was a lady who went and asked her pastor, Pastor, is it a sin to wear makeup? He said, child, in your case, if you don't wear it, it is a sin. <laughs> okay. So here is, uh, no, it is, see, this is all part of growth. Okay. This is all part of growth. So the scriptural guidelines are there about um, quick to listen, slow to anger, you know, all these things and being quick to repent and all. These are basic guidelines given. Okay? But remember, you don't expect a two-year-old child to do what a 20-year-old child can do. Yes. Okay? So please remember, don't be always under the the weight of guilt. One of the things the Holy Spirit never does is, He does not make you feel guilty. Mm. He will convict you. Mm. He will not make you feel guilty or condemned. Mm. He will make you conscious of what your sin you have done. He will convict you of it, but He will not condemn you. That's what the devil does. Okay, So you need to realize after some time, when you practice it, it becomes easier. It becomes easier. And one of the things is that when you're talking about family members, okay, I would say if it's an unbelieving family member, you should be quicker to repent and say sorry than to a believing family. I'm not saying that you should be slow with the believing, but with the believing, you have more room to maneuver. 
because there should be more room because believers should be more understanding because mm-hmm. they are all walking under grace and mercy. They understand what grace is. They want to understand mercy. The unbeliever does not. Unbeliever does not. So with the unbelieving family member, you need to be very, very careful how you deal, what you say, as far as possible, very careful about your conversation with the unbelieving. Even they rave and rant, keep quiet, don't uh, don't say anything back because remember this is your testimony because they know you what you were before Christ and after Christ mm-hmm. and your very silence sometimes can be your testimony can be your testimony so even in a family we will have believers and unbelievers okay and then you know the time okay don't be on a guilt trip. <laughs> okay. Don't be on a guilt trip. But the Bible talks about you do not let the sun go down on your anger, which is talking about time. Meaning don't hold it. Basically God is trying to tell us is that if you hold it, what happens is it gets swept under the carpet. It may look normal. It may look normal. But what has happened is it may not be normal either. Mm-hmm. Okay, if it the issue has not been dealt, what is happening is you are having what you call a functional relationship, a functional relationship, not a real relationship. A functional relationship is you know that you know Vijay and I know okay we are both pastors and we are the pastors taking care of GTC. We have issues, but we need to have an ongoing conversation because of the church. That's a very functional, it's kind of business, kind of a business marriage. Mm-hmm. We call it a business marriage. Okay, but that's, God is not in a business marriage with the church. Business marriage with the church. And you will always realize, again, whenever the same issue comes back, the reaction is the same. So you will always know it has not been dealt, dealt with. with. Yes. It's not been, the issue is still there. It's still the same way. The issue has not. But because there are, you know, we're having a functional relationship, a business relationship, we just sweep it again under the carpet and say, hi, hello, how are you, this thing, and we continue. But it does not work in the kingdom of God that way. Ultimately, the wall will become too big. Mm. It will become too big. And especially in interpersonal relationship, in the family, with the, with the, husband and wife, parents, children, those issues need to be dealt with. And the question is, what if it cannot be dealt with? Yes. Meaning, uh, it took, takes two to tango. What happens when it cannot be dealt with? You have to look at the issue. Is it, is it so big that it has to be dealt with? Or can it be ignored? Some issues are very big. It cannot be ignored. Some some issues can be ignored. Like let us say the story Jesus talks about the prodigal son. It's big. It cannot be ignored. All you can do is let him go. Let him go. Mm. You cannot. You have to let him go. So that's putting a principle in the case. Okay. All you can do is let him go. Okay. And it can be in the case of a marriage. Uh, Jose and Gomer. Okay. He lets her go, and then he has to go and buy her back, meaning he lets her go. He doesn't hold her to her because God said marry her. She's an adulterous wife. If you look at it, she has three children. Yes. And if you look at first child is his, the second two are the children of adultery. So it's not his children. These are her customer's children, or her boyfriend's children, whatever. And he lets her go. 
doesn't hold out to that. So in everywhere you have to look at it and say, can this issue be resolved? Or can it not be resolved? Any issue that has to be resolved, it will take two people. If it's between two people, it will take two people. And then you have to look at it. But the best way to go ahead is that in a relationship, deal with it right in the beginning, the small issues. And if you learn the habit of dealing with it, the small, small issues, the bigger issues won't come. That's one of the fundamental, the closest relationship you have on earth is a husband and a wife. That's why in the law, even a soldier was given a year off with his wife so that you get to know each other. I always say the marriages are made or unmade in the first year, first year too. And no, and that's where you have to be very, very careful that there is conversation. It is through conversation two people know each other and even in a family. What has happened today is we know our phones better than our spouses. Because hmm. we are married to our gadgets. In my house, when I'm sitting in my bedroom with my laptop on my lap, that's why it's called a laptop, right? I said, this is my wife and this is my mistress. <laughs> in so many ways, it is true. We are hooked on to gadgets. You go to any family today, any family. I mean, we say it, but you have six people in the family. All six are on gadgets. Smartphones, yeah. Yeah, cell phones or whatever it is. And it has really broken down relationship. And most families have functional relationships. So these have issues have to be dealt with. I'm telling you right early. And if you know your marriage or your home is in a crisis mode, you have to look at it, what it is, what it is. And believing families, you can work it out if you are able to sit down and come to the agreement with the word of God. Word of God, that's the key. Because two people, can two people walk together unless they are agreed? So we have been given a book and we have been given a guide called the Holy Spirit. Then it is possible. But if it is not a believer and an unbeliever, it becomes very difficult. So in the case of Corinthians 7, Paul says, let the unbelieving spouse depart. Then what about the unbelieving brother? The unbelieving sister, the unbelieving son, unbelieving daughter, are they bigger than the unbelieving spouse? No. no. Unbelieving friend? You have to look at the principle. The principle is the greatest where God has put two men. God has put two, let no man. And that is the husband and wife. And uh, one is unbeliever and one is believer. And the unbelieving one wants to leave because it's not able to fellowship. What do you do? God says, let them go. You're free. If that is possible with a spouse, what about the others? That is the result of it. Mm. So you have to look at the big picture. So the simple thing is that when these issues come up, just go. And after some time, what will happen is that two people get to know each other and they realize you are not offended. That's him. That's her. That's him. That's okay. We are not even bothered about it. We are not even offended about it. But the same issue keeps cropping up and the same reaction, then you need to realize there is an issue and deal with it. Deal with it. Don't get too busy. Don't get too busy. Because one day all this work will be over. And ultimately, only relationships will be left. And then you will realize you have no relationships. Because you didn't build. Work will be over. That's called retirement. After retirement, what do you have? Relationships. Relationships. But you don't build on relationship after retirement. 
Because if you wait till then, you will realize you have no relationship. So build on your relationship even while you are working. So that after retirement, work is over, relationships are still there. And that's what Jesus put. Entire law and the prophets hang on these two things. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your neighbor. Yes, Pastor So how intensely... This has to be pursued. Meaning, look, when we say that when we are pursuing God, we pursue God with all of our heart. We pursue Him, right? And it's it's in one sense it's easier to pursue God because we know that He is He is um, uh, forgiving and He's accepting. But in a relationship, there's always going to be hurt. So the mature person has to be willing to take the hurt as much. It is not, not the hurt alone. You cannot pursue a person, whoever it is, wife, their father, yes. mother, brother, sister. You cannot ever pursue any relationship on earth at the cost of your relationship with God. Mm. Number one will define every other relationship. Sure. That's right. Every relationship is defined by one. Everyone. When the world talks about relationship and love, it is got one nowhere there at all. Jesus made it very clear. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. And you look at any relationship in the Bible, you look, starting with Abraham, his relationship with his father cost him how many years, we do not know. Eli's relationship with his sons cost him his priesthood and his life. Mm -hmm. Solomon's relationship with his wives almost made him a castaway in God's presence. These are all relationships. In each of these cases, you will realize they put commandment two above commandment one. Mm. And you simply cannot do that. It will cost you eternally. Because anything you look on eternity, on the earth, all those relationships are temporal. All those relationships are temporal. There's only one relationship that is eternal. That's your relationship with God. So every relationship you pursue, you have to be very, very careful. It is not at the cost of your relationship with one. And if you actually pursue God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength, yes. everything else will, will start fall, falling, falling into place. place. And in the process, if people leave, you will realize it is well with my soul. Amen. It is yeah. well with my soul. Right. So one will define two. You will never let two define one. If you let two define one, you're gone. You're gone in the long run, you're gone. And it doesn't matter who you are. You look in the Bible, you will see everyone who pursued two at the cost of one, they were gone. And they took years to get back. Amen. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So, so, let's look at question four, Pastor. Yes, because the same connection is there. So, can God see when we are being hurt and being abused? Why does he not intervene at that time? We have faith, we believe. And then he, I think he is, sh- my father was shot and killed. He harmed nobody. Why was he not saved from such a violent man? This dude was a stranger. Are we all like children sent to the slaughter? Why, are we all like children sent to the slaughter? Why are we not given a second chance? So you know the person, so who's asked this question? Hmm. And uh, this, this are the same, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the, the core, core of it, core of it is the same. it's the same kind of questions we get every week from really, really hurting people. Really, really. I don't want to give you a flippant answer. All I can tell you is we don't have all the answers of what's happening. Only God has. But like Moses, when the end comes, our end comes, we'll be able to look back and say God was just. 
God was loving, God was kind, God was merciful through it all. We will not answer. Like I said, God does not intervene into everything simply because he gave man the free will to choose. Mm. Now you think about it. God says, I said before you life and death, blessing and curses. You choose. How can he say you choose and then he will say, but I will intervene every second in your life. How does that happen? Then where is my choice? Hmm. Where is my? Then I am just a dog on a leash. God has told you choose. Okay. God says I I give you the freedom to choose. I've said before you life and death, blessing and curses. You choose. So man has been given this autonomy to make choices. Now you need to realize in this 6 billion or I don't know, 7 billion, whatever number of people around, 7 billion people are making choices. And only God's, I mean, God is like infinitely faster than the fastest supercomputer. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there and managing these 7 billion choices that are being made every second. Mm-hmm. And still he's sovereignly handling the whole thing without ever changing his nature with all these choices that is being made at the end when time is wrapped up as a scroll everyone will say you were right you were just you were loving you were kind through it all hmm. you need to realize in all this question there's so many people making a choice no there's a choice my yes. father was shot and killed he harmed nobody yes why was he not the violent man is making a choice the innocent man is making a choice Okay, so many choices that went there. Okay, just think about think about uh, a choice. I, I do not. I'm just just saying. Let us say uh, today, August the fifteenth. I get out of my house at six thirty, and uh, my wife says, "Go early at 8. I said, "No, I'm going now." Then I t- try to start my vehicle. The vehicle does not start. Then I call a cab and I come and on the way I have an accident. <laughs> okay. Now if you look at it honestly, God is trying to reach out in so many ways to stop us from mm. so. But the problem is we are not hearing. Mm. hearing. One of the, we'll come back to that again, but what I will tell you, there is only one perfect life possible on earth in the midst of seven billion choices. It's a life that is lived Absolutely and totally filled with the Holy Spirit. The only one man lived like that, that was Jesus Christ. Mm. That is an absolutely free life where you know God is in absolute control of your life and then nothing can kill you until your destiny is over. Okay, they try to kill him, he walked through it all. Okay, but that's, that's a life theoretically possible, available. But do we? Can you and I every day in our free will choose? But even to that we need to grow because we don't have the understanding of the word of God and the will of God to live like that. So we are growing. Okay. And the second thing you need to understand is that as a believer, how do you look at death? That will, I always will come back to that. It will change how you look at life. Do you see death as end or death as beginning? Do you see death as defeat or death as victory? It will change your entire perspective of life. Even today, most believers see death as an end, a sad end, and as defeat, and not as a beginning, and as victory. Immediately, the storyline changes. Mm. The storyline changes. 
if you look at death as a beginning, that's what Paul calls departure. Therefore, it is arrival. Okay, departure, arrival. Uh, all the saints in the Bible, they are all groaning to get rid of this body, so they can they can be really, really free. They are really, really free. When is our genuine Independence Day? The day we die. We are free from the constraints of this body and this material world. We are free. So you have to look at it. Okay, the person who died is not in agony if he's in a believer. It's a person who is surviving, who is growing through. If you ever were to meet any man in the Lord, man, woman, in the Lord, who died, none of them is crying. None of them is upset. They're just waiting for the others to come home. <laughs> There's nobody sad in heaven. There's nobody. On the hand, there is every second there is a celebration when some sinner gets saved here. See, the perspective from heaven and the perspective from earth is completely different. So you have to look at it that way. I'm not giving a flippant answer, but this is the life of death. Uh, sorry, life of faith. But death is victory. Let, okay. Are we all like children sent to the slaughter? Why have we not given a second chance? Of course God gives you a second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. But question is, will we take a chance? Mm-hmm. And trust Him. And trust Him and believe Him and say, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. Will we choose? Like, now God, I, I uh, made these two illustrations in one of the messages. One is a man who was bound for 38 years. Jesus comes. He doesn't know who Jesus is. Sets him free. Pick up your mat and walk. And he's free. He can walk. He's getting a second chance. But the question is, where will you go? Hmm. Where will you go? And scripture says he went to the house of God to worship. And Jesus met him there. So you have a chance. Second chance. He took his second chance and went right to the right place. He didn't go to his buddies. He didn't go home. He didn't go any of the places. He was missing for 38 years. And you look at this man. There was one place he was missing. That was the house of God. Okay? And he went over there. And God met him and gave him a second word. That's a simple man. 38 years because of his sin. That's a perspective you get. Who was infirm or paralyzed for 38 years. So let us say a sinner. Let's pick a saint. Peter. Peter is a saint. He's in prison because of the preaching and Herod is planning to execute him. The church is praying. God intervenes supernaturally. Angel comes, wakes him up, gird your clothes on. Gates are all opening. The guards are all knocked out. First gate, second gate, third gate brings him to the street and he looks and the angel is gone. He's also free. Where will he go? See, the choice is the same for the Man who is infirm and the saint, the apostle. The choice is the same. God doesn't tell Peter where you need to go. Peter finds the house of prayer and goes there. Mm, So two people make the same choice. Both of them, when they get a second chance, both of them are getting a second chance. Peter is being saved from death. This man is from a living death. And both of them take the second chance and go to God. And that's what God is saying. Second chance. We are not living even on second chances. We are living on our one hundred thousand chances. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and God says, every day is a new chance. And where do you go? Um. Where do you go? Like I said, your book face in this book or Facebook. It's your choice. What do we choose? Every day he sets the same choices before us. And God says, you can choose. You can choose. 
And God gives you an incredible perspective and you, your life changes. doesn't matter where you came from. It changes. Because in John chapter 5, after Jesus revealed who he was, scripture says, what did the man do when he left the temple? He left the temple and he went out and declared to everybody that Jesus was the one who healed him. He became the street preacher. Now he's pointing people to Christ. Look at where to where. 38 years, who, who, who's listening? Anybody who's listening today can actually say, I was a paralyzed person for 38 years sitting in the same place for 38 years. And God came and healed me. And I'm walking today. And I went to the house of God. God heard me. Spoke to me a second time. And I have given a new perspective. I go out on the streets and declare who Jesus is. Hasn't his life changed? It's simple. Those pictures are all there in the Bible. No, those pictures are there all in the Bible. Okay. Pastor, then we will, we will look at question number eight. It's, uh, so we, it's the same theme which is flowing uh, through. So I just wanted to pick that. Oh, uh, this brother, I wonder, please next time you write to me, tell me, because your name is mm. interesting. I think you are from Burma or one of these places, because your name is strange. Last week you talked about the prosperity of the wicked in this world and how everything makes sense when we see from eternity perspective, quoting some yeah. Now the pastor Vijay, he's clear? Yeah. yeah. It often crosses my mind as to what happens with the unbelieving people who receive a raw deal in the world. There are millions of people who are defenseless, exploited, cannot get one square, one square meal a day, have no roof over their heads, have no want to fight for their rights, suffering from dreadful diseases, sick and tired of life itself and without God. What a pity. It grieves me whenever I think about them. They live a pathetic life here only to receive an utterly hopeless life in eternity. Yes, it is easier for them to be saved than those who are sorted in, sorted in this world, but still there are many sorry lives that are unsaved and would die without being saved. How would we look at this problem in the light of eternity? This is a, such an existential question and it's, yeah. it's a huge, huge it's a question. a huge question. Uh, like I'm, I'm not saying that I have the all the answers. All I will do is, like for me, like I said, <clears throat> in the earlier stages of my life, I was trying to look for answers in the Bible. In the later stage of my life, I started looking for the answers in Christ. Mm. And I found the answers are found in Christ. There is the word of God and there is the God of the word. Hmm. Okay, that person. And I've suddenly realized, uh, because he was the word that became flesh and walked among us. One of the things you need to realize, this is a concern in this brother's heart and a concern in so many hearts. This is, where did this concern come from? It came from God because man was made in the image of God. So if, if, if this is how a puny finite man like me or you think how much more does God care? How much more does God care? And the cross is the the absolute example, the, the sum total of what God has shown how much he cares for mankind. The Bible is very clear. God so loved the world. Okay. See if you look in in if you actually if you want to look in terms of heaven, in heaven you have heaven, God, the angels, all that. You know, we'll see its glory one day. But heaven is exemplified by three personalities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And to everyone who received the son, he gave his only spirit. Okay, That's how God is. God has given the world his son. God has given his spirit to everyone who receives the work of the son. For me, when I look at it, that that answers all of these existential questions that I can never question the doubt, the love of God. Then when I look around, I understand with my finite eyes, there are so many people suffering, millions and millions and millions, Lord, who will reach them? But the problem is I'm looking at from my little tunnel vision. I don't know God. I don't understand how God, and I don't understand really the incredible power of God. So let me give you a few examples. Like I said, I start finding answers in Christ, the word that became flesh, which satisfies your soul. Okay? Uh, I'm not giving you actual scriptures for you, but I'm just giving you like seven examples. If you look in John chapter 4, you see, you don't have to go there, Sammy. In John chapter 4, you will see the Samaritan woman. Okay, she said, if you look from a Jewish perspective, she's a half-breed. And they, uh, they dislike the Samaritans. They won't even go through that. And you see, she doesn't know him. She doesn't expect him. But Jesus goes all the way, waits for her, creates an ambience where she can approach him by sending all his disciples away, sits there, she comes to the well, he talks to her first as a Jewish rabbi to a Samaritan, unthinkable, starts a conversation and brings her to eternity, eternal life. So who made the move? God made the move. God made the move. And who is she? Somebody who has been married five times, now living with her sixth boyfriend. Okay, somebody we would now, we would call them today's US language, Samaritan trash. So that's how they call people, white trash, black trash, brown trash. People who are in the dumps, they call them that. They call them trash because they are on the roads or their lifestyle is like that. So she's a Samaritan trash. In John chapter 5, you have another trash. This is a paralytic trash. 38 years. Nobody even cares. He himself makes it very clear. Even among these, there is nobody to help me. You mean you've been here for 38 years and nobody will help you? He said, yeah, nobody will help you. All sick, infirm, lying over there. He didn't pray. He didn't call. He didn't, we don't know what he did, but over there, he doesn't even know it is Jesus. Who goes to him? Jesus goes to him. Okay. Jesus goes to him. In Luke chapter 7, you will look at another incident. Jesus and his disciples are going to a town called Nain. Okay, they're going. And another group is coming. This is a group of Jesus and his disciples fulfilling the purpose of the Father, the will on earth. And another group is coming, which is a widow whose only son is being taken to be buried. He's dead. It's a it's a funeral procession that is going. Nobody asked. Jesus stops the funeral procession. He stops. And he touches the boy and tells him to get up and gives him back to the mother and walks away. Okay? Third example I'm giving you from the Bible. Did the mother pray? Did the mother cry? Did the mother weep? But did God meet her? Okay? Fourth one. You have, you will see, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. Okay, verse 27, 28. Just two verses. So the men marvel, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You know, he had a long day ministry. And you know, this is where he fell asleep. He was so tired. He fell asleep in the boat. 
And the disciples were scared, panicked. And they said, where is your faith? Why are you afraid? Okay. Now, if you look at it, why is he after a full day's ministry so tired he falls asleep in a boat in the midst of a storm? Where is he going? He's going to the other side because there are two demon-possessed people on the other side. Do demon-possessed people call upon God? Does anybody ask him on their behalf? No, but he went. A little later, what you see is they're sitting there, normal at his feet. You look at the categories I'm talking about. You look at the categories you're talking about. A Samaritan woman, a paralyzed sick beggar, a mother, a widow who lost her son, two demon-possessed people, and in John chapter 9, you have a man born blind. And they're just walking along and they ask a rhetorical question. No, that's what the disciples are. Who sinned he or his father? Jesus said, neither. It's for the glory of God. And he heals him. Heals him. Right? And then he's arrested at the garden. They come arrested. And you know what happens? Luke chapter 22, verse 50 and 51. This is He's going to his final journey. They arrest him. In the process, Peter does something silly. And what did Jesus do? 22, verse 50 and 51. Luke 22, 50. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, Malachus, right? And cut off his right ear. That was Peter. And Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now, (laughs) you're getting arrested. You're going to get beaten. And you're going to get killed. What are you doing over there? Nobody asked. He healed him. Then if you look at the seventh one, is when he is on the cross. Absolute, total, excruciating pain. And he turns around and gets a man into the kingdom of God. I look at these seven, I just gave you seven pictures of God. And I look at it and I say, you know what, I will do what I have to do. I will not worry about the others. It's too much for me to carry. That's not my burden. I have to carry the burden that God puts on my shoulder. Wherever I can, I will reach out and touch. The issue here is what I said. What is the answer to all the crisis in the world? It's a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus know where to go? Because the Spirit told him. Why do Christians who are born again do nothing? Because they don't hear the Spirit from the Spirit, where to go, whom to speak each day. They don't see whom to pray for. They don't. And therefore what happens? God's work is in the hands of a few people who hear. People. I mean, he has a mathematician sitting over here. And I will tell you, he will tell you mathematically, but I know roughly, like, no, if one man brought another person to Christ in a year, then two people brought two people to Christ the next year, that is four. Then four people brought four people to Christ the next year, that is eight people. Eight brought, you know, roughly around 33 to 50 years, the whole world will be evangelized. That's all it takes. How many years till Jesus has to come? 2020 we are in. That's math. That's math. I'm right? That's yes. math. Yeah. That's how it goes. Exponential. One, exponential. One person brings one in a year. Two people bring two in a year. That's four. Four people bring eight in a year. Eight people bring 16 in a year. 16 becomes 32. 32 becomes 64. As it goes up, it goes up, it goes up. In less than 50 years, the whole world would be. Even if people are bleeding, still doesn't matter. But you know, it's 2020. So is God at fault? The church at fault. Church at fault. And you know where the church is at fault? That's why Jesus said, without me, you okay. can do nothing. nothing. The key of the work of the church is the spirit of 
God. That's what we've been trying to tell over and over and over and over again. It is the Spirit of God. And the command is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. He will tell you what to do. Imagine a body of Christ around the world functioning like that. Jesus will come in less than one year. Because the bride, if you go to, if you go to Peter, <coughs> can I have an ivy? You know? Second Peter. Verse, chapter 3 and verse 11. Second Peter chapter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be who ought to live in godly lives and holy lives? As you look forward to the day of the Lord, speed its coming. Hmm. We, we, will, we miss that three words over there in the middle of that narrative. The church has the power to speed or hasten or what we call in today's language, fast forward the day of the Lord. There's only one entity on earth which has the power to fast forward Jesus' second coming. Who's that? The church. If Jesus is delayed, who delayed? Not Jesus. The church has delayed. That's the answer to this young brother. I will tell you, that's the answer. Once each one has personally heard and is faithful to what you have heard, whether it is in prayer or whether it is in preaching or in proclamation or work, whatever it is, that's all you and I have called to do. And once the church functions like that, that's what the early church did. They said they have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. Think about a city being filled with a new doctrine with 120 people. We have over 3,500 churches or fellowships in Hyderabad and half of Hyderabad doesn't know Christ. Doesn't know Christ. You know, and this is the key. This is the key. Of course, when the end days comes, it will become more and more and more difficult because the resistance to the gospel also increases. But what I'm saying is when you see all these things like this brother talks about, all these millions talking about, and please don't ever mistake, it is not happening. God is supernaturally intervening. More people are getting saved today, a day, through the internet than any man knows. And when people don't even have access to the internet, don't even shorten God's hand. He's speaking to people in dreams and in visions and to believe his son. He is doing his work. Nothing is going to stop his hand. Okay, so our job is, Lord, I want to be part of that hand. Yes. That is it. The, the only only thing is that sometimes what we do might seem apparently irrelevant to the yeah. cause, but it is not. One man of God said something very powerful. He says, see, uh, when Jesus turned water into wine, mm-hmm. only Jesus could convert water into wine. All that the servants had to do was take the water and pour the water into the things. No, no, it, the need was for wine, and what are you filling is water. There's, there's, they seem absolutely irrelevant, but only Jesus can do that. So we do what we have to do, and God, God will do what we has, He has to do. And yet we have to hear. I'll give you one example for those who are hearing. Okay, this happened many years ago. A pastor in Chennai, if I'm right, a pastor was late for his meeting, so he was rushing on his two-wheeler. As he was rushing on the two-wheeler, there was a red light, and he stopped. And mm-hmm. as he stopped, the Spirit of God says, go to the side, park your bike over there. There is a man over there, a beggar sitting over there. Go and give him the gospel. So he said, Lord, I am late. Mm-hmm. 
already late for my meeting. And the Spirit of God is saying, no, you go to that side and speak to him. So you always have to realize whose meeting you are going for and he is the boss. Always remember, yes, I'm going to preach, but the boss is the Holy Spirit, not the people to you are going. So he took his bike to the side, went over there, sat with the beggar. The beggar cried, accepted the Lord, everything. He prayed with him and said, yeah, I will come in the evening and I will talk to you again. I need to go. So he went, finished his meeting. When he was coming back in the evening, he saw a crowd over there. The beggar was dead. Now think about a minute. The man did not listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Okay. Voice of the Holy Spirit. When we tell you, you can be led by the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus was led. Yes. And that's what we should always aspire, Lord. I want to be like your son one day, where I can hear. I don't have to do everything, but I have to do everything you tell me to do. You didn't call me to do everything. Even his own son, God didn't tell him to do everything. But his son was called to do everything the Spirit told him. And that's where it comes. And if each one of us are faithful to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the hearing of the Holy Spirit, you know what? We will hasten His coming. And this misery is over. <laughs> it is over. It is over. Okay? Yes, Pastor Richard. So, um, you want to take a controversial question, Pastor, today? Or do you want to... <laughs> okay, let's let's do, go through this because all from one one person, so we can just go through them. Because this is from nine to eleven. As a child of God, can I have a spiritual high and then go through dryness? Dryness. Definitely, you will go through dryness. You will go through dryness. God will allow dryness. Mm. One of the reasons is that when you are talking about a spiritual high, when most people talk about a spiritual high. It is also when the spiritual and the physical come in too and you have experienced something in your physical or material. That's your spiritual high. And God did not call us to live like that. Mm -hmm. God has called us to live by faith. faith. Because if you want to live on a spiritual high, then you are always expecting something to touch you in the physical realm. And then only. And that's why Jesus was upset with the people. He said, I will give you no more signs. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. A spiritual high is a, is, is a result of a sign. Okay. And signs will not sustain you. How many signs did Jesus show his disciples? Mm. And when he was arrested, what happened? They all ran away. I can understand them running away fear also. My fundamental question to the disciples when I meet them, I will ask them, <laughs> is this. <laughs> I have no issues with you running. I also probably would have run. My only question to all of you is that, why weren't you there by his grave on the third day? Mm. My issue is that. My issue is that. He said three. Many times he told, on the third day I will rise. My issue is that everything else I can understand. I cannot understand this. Why weren't you sitting around the grave? He's going to rise. Okay. So, did the science work? No. They were all on spiritual heights. Remember how Lord demons saw this thing. Jesus said, hey, hang on. Don't get too excited. Be excited that your names are written in the book of life. How did the names get written on the book of life? It was an act of faith. Okay. Of course, the dryness. What is the purpose of the dryness? The purpose of dryness is to draw us closer Close to, to him yes. so that we learn to walk by faith. Mm. Okay, That's why Jesus did not take Israel out of this green Egypt to green promised land. He took them to, to a season wilderness. of dryness. Why did he take them in the wilderness? What was the whole purpose? And Jesus answered. The answer was this. 
man shall not live by bread alone, bread alone but by, but by every, word. every word. And I'll tell you one thing I heard a long time ago. I think I heard a pastor or read a pastor say, do not forget in the night what God spoke to you in the light. Do not. When dark comes, that is a dry period. Dry period. Do not forget what God spoke to you in the light when the night comes. I'll tell you an example. I'll, I'm not an example. We, we, we talk about Jesus' three temptations, right? Uh-huh. Three temptations. Actually, there was a fourth temptation, which we miss. I think I preached a long time ago. The first temptation was, if you are the son of God, then turn. Turn. Stones into bread. He gave it. Fantastic answer through the spirit. That's why the answer was powerful. Okay. He was not just quoting verbatim word. He was speaking through the spirit. Second one took him up to the uh, top of the mountain, showed him the nations of the world. So it's a vision. Okay. The devil also can give you visions and showed him and said, bow and worship me. He gives an answer. And then a third one he says again. Okay. What was the actual temptation? Fourth temptation. The real powerful temptation. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Okay. Verse 21 and 22. Yeah. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass, Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, heaven was open, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. In whom in I am well pleased. pleased. When he was in the light, when he came out of the water, what did the father say? You are my son. Now he's in the wilderness. What did the devil say? If you are mm-hmm. the son of God, don't forget what you heard in the light. When you are in the night, I've already told you, you are my son. Absolutely. You don't have to prove anything anymore. Exactly. That's one of the things which we need to realize. If God has called us his son or his daughter, we don't have to prove it to anybody through any signs or anyone else. Amen. What he told in the light, I will not forget in the night. Hallelujah. That's the fundamental lessons you have to learn. This is exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about it. Uh, I was also reading William Crunel, Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10. This, this is brilliant. When you're talking about it, it's exactly this verse, verse came to my mind. It says, Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him Trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon His God. Yes, there is a spirit of darkness, yeah. and you and already heard. You already heard him. You already heard His voice once. Allow it. No? He will, he will allow, allow you. He will allow you seasons of dryness, and that seasons of dryness actually frames us. That makes us. You look at any man of God in the Bible, any one of them, that made them who they were. If those wilderness experiences were not for them, they would not have become the men or women of God. You know, when we talk about Rebecca, what do we think about Sarah? What do we think about Sarah? What do we think about Rebecca? What do we think about Rachel? Their barrenness. It is the barrenness that made them women of God. That is their darkness. And Hannah. <laughs> Hannah. All mm. of them. Elizabeth. All of them. When you look at these women, and what made these women, what frame, what is that common thing about these are godly women? Women. What made them? It was their barrenness. It was their barrenness. And if you look at these men, Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joe. what was it? It was the wilderness. 
they had to struggle with God and encounter God in those dark times that God is. Okay, any one of them, Abraham or Isaac, Isaac is a peaceful man. He digs a well, Philistines come. What do you do? Fight or leave? No, I will leave. Next one again. Fight or leave? And through it all is experiencing. My God is my provision. He is my provider. They are all experiencing Jacob and all. So we need to understand, we are not called to live by signs and wonders. Mm-hmm. We are called to live by, by faith. faith. Yes, okay. and promises. God has already said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. The devil is coming and says, if you are the son of God, do this. No, if I am the son of God, I don't have to do anything. Man. I don't have to do anything. Hallelujah. I am not the son of God by what I do. I am the son of God, therefore I do. That's the difference. The devil will come and say, see if you are a servant of God, then prove this. No. Do this, do this, do this. I don't have to do anything. Mm. Why am I son of God? Because he said so. <laughs> That's the reason. Not because I did something. So spiritual times of dryness will come. That's our test. And we have to go through those tests. And we will come out emerge stronger and stronger and stronger. It's children who need signs and wonders. Mm. Please understand, children. Forever will follow after signs and wonders. When you grow in maturity, you don't need any signs and wonders because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And the next question, say the same person is asking, how do you keep the fire burning? <laughs> Please be real. Talk to me as a babe in Christ. Okay, next message when I preach, I will talk to you about how because that's an entire message. Which everybody, all of us need that message. How do I keep that fire burning? And then, okay. and the question 11, I'll leave it to you, Pastor, to even read it. We'll read question number one. We haven't tackled, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we have, because it's been there for three, four weeks. Yes, yes, yes. I yes. hope the person who sent that question is listening. Yeah. So, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or in Sabbath. Matthew chapter 24, verse 20. Can you just put it up? Hmm. Why does it say that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath? What is the significance of this verse? Why not on Sabbath? Okay, this is one of, uh, let's say Matthew 24 is the, what you call it, the um, the end times warning. Okay, please remember when Jesus is speaking on uh, Matthew 24, when he's talking about that, it has two applications. One is immediate and one is prophet. Yes. So when he's talking about here, he's talking to the Jewish community, which is, I believe, which is immediate. Okay, he says it's going to come. And it came. In 70 AD, it came for them. The end came for Jerusalem and the temple. It came. And when you are in a very orthodox, conservative Jewish society, you can do nothing in Sabbath, on mm-hmm. Sabbath. I I told you last time, Rob, one of the questions, they have that line. I forgot the name of the line. Even in New York and all of the Jewish community, they have they have a line. You will see that going. On a Sabbath, you are only up, allowed to go till that. <laughs> till that. And they will not cross because the line is drawn and you can see like wire kind of a thing going on. How many yards you are allowed to walk on a Sabbath. That is how orthodox they are, how they interpreted the law. And Jesus is saying, you guys, you interpret the law like that. What happens when you have to flee on a Sabbath day? How far will you go? 20 yards and stop? Yeah, that's what he's talking about. He's looking and says, I pray that your flight may not be in winter. Winter, of course, you understand the the... Uh, the logistics of trying to uh, escape for your life in winter or on a Sabbath. That's what he's talking about over there. Okay. So, do you want to take that question? That's a final question, right? No, no, or, or no, we have another one. Maybe question seven and then the last okay. question. Okay. Uh, yeah, question seven, we have to look at some important question. Yeah, in countries like India, Christians celebrate many festivals which are not part of Christianity. Example, 
all this question. etc. Because they think that it, to be a part of it is a part of the culture of our country. Even many rituals are followed during a wedding. Does that harm spiritually? If yes, what? Why should a believer stay away from all these festivals and rituals? Now, this is this is we we will not make it specific to India. This is a question. The church, the believers have struggled for two thousand years hmm. because if you open your Bible and you go, you go to the Book of Romans, the Church in Rome. No, you don't have to. Yeah, Church in Rome. So that is in a pagan nation, city. Corinth, it's a pagan city full of temples. Galatia, full of temples. Ephesus, full of temples. Philippi, full of temples. Colossia, full of temples. Thessalonica, full of temples. Right? And then you have others are written to individuals. So if you look at all the letters that are written, are to written to believers in pagan culture. Pagan culture. So this is something that was something they had to really, really go through. And let me tell you as to what Paul actually says in Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. Okay. Okay. Now we are looking at Corinthian. I'm not talking about India. You can take the implications because we are live. You can, you can take the implications and let the Spirit speak to you because the Word of God is eternal. It is forever. It was written to the church in Corinth. Then it's written to the church in Hyderabad too because we too are living in the same times and same culture. Rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Hmm. Okay. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. So you have to, up, don't put a big picture and make everything like that. You have to apply it personally in your situation. How is it coming? Okay. So there is a table of God and there is a table of demons. Okay. So you cannot put these two tables together. I'm sorry, you cannot put these two tables together. Outwardly, they may like, the other table may look more fancy and everything. But spiritual, it's a completely different thing. The spiritual mm. realm, it's a completely different thing. And it will, you will, it's nothing. It's not coming to our situation yet. It is coming. It will come one day if God uh, uh, does an extend hand of mercy. North India, it's always there. They will come into your houses. And they will demand you give money and everything for the festivals. And, you know, the coercion is there. A time and a season will come and then what will you do? So these are decisions which you take now. Yeah. Take now. Okay. This is what made, why, why do we have a book of Daniel? It's because a young boy made a decision in Babylon connected with something that was coming from the table of the king and which he realized according to the faith in which I walk, I cannot partake of it. So the Bible is talking about something over there. So imagine you are in Colossia. Or you are in Philippi or Ephesus. You have all these temples and the temple of Diana and the temple of Athene and the temple of Zeus and Hera and all these. And everyone has big festivals. Big festivals. And it's big. Hmm. The statues and the people and the food and the eating and the celebrations and all. And what does the church do? These are new, nascent, small churches. What does the church do? Where all of them were Gentiles one who went to all these places, who have come to the kingdom of God, okay, what do you do now? And to them, 
like in Corinth, the church in Corinth, Paul is saying, no. He makes an exception about what is being sold in the market, market in another yes. place. If you can find that, it would be yeah, nice. Yes. And to this, this is connected directly with a festival. Connected with a festival. The other thing is that everything that is sold in the market also go through these God's hands. Pardon? 25. Yeah. Uh, same, same chapter. Same chapter, yeah. That's Eat whatever is sold in the meat market asking no questions for conscience sake. Hmm. Okay, meaning like typical in India also, like let us go to any vegetable mandi with a shop or any kirana dukan or something to buy. I mean, that's a nice man. It's a simple man. What does he do? He opens his shop. He has his God's picture. He will make you wait. You can go there early in the morning for him to open. He will make some, some, some two minutes or he will do that. He will light his incense, everything. He will do obedience to everything, asking the blessings of the God on his on his business, everything. Then he will ask you what you want and you buy your 10 kilo rice and you go home. That's what he's talking about. About that, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. If you receive it with thanksgiving, it is sanctified and you are fine. You don't have to worry because then you will have to starve to death. Okay, he's not talking about that. He's talking about a different context altogether about festivals. The festivals, it's a different thing. So you have both contexts over there and you have to be very, very careful about which, which one you are looking at. In the first context, God says no. Second context, God says don't even bother. Receive it thanksgiving, it's clear, it is kosher for you. Nothing is going to happen. But what has been told to you not to eat, don't note it. Like in Acts 15, we'll say strangled, blood, all those things, that stands. Okay, so, so even uh, you are a Christian and you buy chicken, buy it from a halal shop. It's good. Mm. It's good. It's good buy a halal shop. At least you know, at least he, because of his religion, drains the blood off. So I, at least I don't have to get home and clean the drain the blood off. So those things we keep wherever we buy from. But these things are clear. So when you are living in a community with different, different beliefs, uh, but you have to be very careful. You are not offensive. We respect them. We respect their beliefs, though we know it is wrong. We respect them and respect their beliefs. Because why do they believe that? Because our God gave them the freedom to choose. Remember that. Yes. Our God gave them the freedom. Therefore, we respect individual freedom to make that choices. So how you say no, you have to be very careful you do it. Offense, without being offensive. Without being offensive. And God will, if you, depending upon what situation, I will tell you a situation where I knew a brother who was in the army. And he was one of the senior persons like uh, above CEO, commanding officer of a regiment unit. Okay, So if you are a CEO of an Indian army regiment, when you have a festival, you are supposed to be leading the whole people. And you are supposed to be serving the man. Let us say a a particular puja, whatever. It is his duty. By unwritten laws, he has to be there. Okay? So what does a believer do? He, if he goes, yes, conscience doesn't allow him. If he lies, his conscience doesn't allow him. So what does he do? This brother I know, consistently all the years he was in the army, he would always pray, my father, tomorrow is this day, duty bound, I am supposed to go I cannot lie, I cannot go, so Lord, for tomorrow, make me sick. And every time he would fall sick and the second in command would go. He offered his body as a living sacrifice to fall ill for the sake of God's name. 
God always showed him favor. He never had to lie. He would be running a temperature of 103 or whatever, unable to get up, and it's too icy, he goes and does it. And once that is over, the next day, his temperature is gone. You have to always believe. Lord, make a way for me through this. Make a way for me, you know. So always I tell my children, I always tell children this, and spiritual children, you have in this office this thing, they bring over this. You need to tell them. You, You know that day? You decide to fast that day for your friends. All your Hindu friends. You decide to fast for them that day. So when they come and say, this is Prasad, you say, I'm sorry, I'm fasting today. That's it. You're not offending them. You're actually praying and fasting for them. That the real God would open. That's how you work in this culture without being offensive. But after a point, things will change. And they will hold a knife onto your head and say, eat. That's what happened in all those beginning churches everywhere in the world. All of them had to recant. And they all died for that. All They were asked to put a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And they said, no, Christ is Lord. Caesar is Caesar, king, but he's not Lord. Lordship is Jesus Christ in every area of your life. They said, okay, then your head goes. They said, fine. So in many, many countries, that will come to that point. So that's a different thing. We are talking about a general, how do you handle it without being offensive and also being respectful of their sentiments without hurting them. We are not hurting them. We are not hurting them, the sentiments. But we know what is true. But they don't know. So how do you navigate through this minefield? I would say this is the way you navigate through that minefield. And when you have families, of course, it becomes difficult from a Hindu family and you got saved. You have to ask God for grace and take your stand and be consistent and be gentle about it. Don't be offensive. Do not be offensive about it. Yes, Pastor Vijay, we'll go to the final question for the day. Yes, Pastor. That we would have answered 10 questions, right, today? (laughs) Ah, 8, 10, yes. Oh, you want me to read that question? Okay, it's slightly messy, okay? All this stuff going on with Jeffrey Epstein and uh, that lady, you know, Maxwell. Uh, India, you can tune it out. Parents, you have little children, don't bother. Only those who understand this need to listen. Others, you can have your dinner. We all know what the time is. This is all BS. That's what I said. We, I think we are the only Q&A around the world who get these questions. We are also part of all these sexual games. Now, why would these women talk about it now, after the man is dead? It's talking about the case that is going on, all those people who are victims. The guys in the circle all know. How come God allowed this whole saga to take place and then just get this lady, Maxwell, and this jerk, Jeffrey, should be in it too? These are people who came out, who knows, who are victims of these people probably or similar kind of things. Okay, so for people like us who are listening and who have no clue of what is happening, we'll say, are all these things real? What I'm telling you to those who ask this question, this didn't start yesterday or today. This has been there for 6,000 years. The first sacrifice, human sacrifice because of religion took place when Abel was killed by Cain. Okay, that's all a religious dispute. Okay, religious dispute. And then onwards it comes. See, I've explained this to so many times, but there is only one way, two ways you can have power. Either God's power, which comes through holiness and righteousness, or the devil's power, which comes through witchcraft. And the devil demands these things if you want his power. 
Now you cannot do it openly. So they do it secretly. They have their places. And even now, probably it is taking place. I want you to listen to something, okay? I don't want, I didn't want, uh, uh, because, okay, those of you here, you will recognize his voice. He's dead and gone, so you can't go after him. And this is a very old recording, so this is something which, you listen to another voice. And one of the reasons they hate him, okay, they really, really hate him in the Christian circles. I'm not talking about the non-Christian circles, is because he knew a lot of stuff, okay. different forms of the supernatural and in a certain sense they tend to counterfeit the true religion based on the covenants that God has made with man first of all through the law of Moses and then through the death of Jesus Christ listen carefully okay. and here are some of the uh, ways that witchcraft in a sense uh, copies true God given religion First of all, in sacrifices. Sacrifices are a normal part of most witchcraft. And they include human sacrifice. And this is not something of the past. I'm not fully equipped to speak about Britain. But let me tell you, in the United States, human sacrifice takes place frequently. And it takes place through witches' covens or cults. And what happens is the leader of the cult will impregnate a woman who's under his control and the woman will become pregnant and they will arrange that the birth is never registered and then they will sacrifice the little baby to Satan. And I actually read the account of one young woman who gave birth to a baby And they placed a a dagger in her hand. The leader of the cult held her hand in his and made her plunge the dagger into her own baby. This is not something from the remote past or so-called primitive lands. It's taking place widely. And I don't doubt that there are similar examples here in Britain. Then witchcraft uses oath. Okay. I wanted you to hear it from that person, okay, so that you would know this is reality. Now, he talked about the cult leader and he talked about the woman in the group, this thing. But today, I will tell you the terms that are used is the master and the butterfly. And the children are birthed in those places. The children are used for sacrifice. In all the pagan civilizations, if you look through the Bible, you will see sexologies, drugs, and sacrifice of babies was part of it if you wanted power from the enemy. That's why God told Israel this has to be cleaned out. The nation has to be, he will not. But you will see a little later Israel goes that way. Until today it continues. Till today it continues. And it is everybody hand in glove with it. Why they hate this pastor it's that's what I said. I always say I don't trust pastors in the West. I don't trust pastors in the West. I don't know them. I don't know where they have been. I don't know what they have done. Most of them in their family history, they have dabbled in this. 
they have a history of Freemasonry in most of the families. So you will see it has, it's from top to bottom it has come into the society. And this is how it happens. And these children who write and all are victims. They were all taken like that. So this will, this did not start yesterday or today. It's not going to stop tomorrow too. It will become because man will do anything for the sake of power. The sake of power. He will do anything. And it's all control and power. And the higher you are up, the more control you want, the devil will give you. But the devil doesn't give anything freely. So this goes on happening. So this Jeffrey Epstein and this Lady Maxine are actually nobody. They are not the big ones. The big ones are the ones who used them. They will never be caught. They will never be caught. They will never be caught. These are just uh, not the really big ones. The big ones are still there all over the world, big people. And, uh, you know, in her case, uh, Prince Andrew, he's not even willing to go to make a statement. Who is Prince Andrew? Prince Andrew. He's one in the line for the throne. The king's son. The queen's son. Okay, so he's been named in the paper. So you need to realize this is all part of it. When we say these things, people think we are fanciful and all. This has been happening for years. That is how this world is controlled through the power of witchcraft. Devil doesn't give you anything free. You want witchcraft power? You have to give him something. And we know all of our histories and all, even in even now. In temples, you have to offer rooster and chicken and all that. It's in the public acceptable form. So what about what is happening with where we do not... Even in Hyderabad, if you want to check out, if you have the access to it, in a year, 2019, go check the police records. How many missing babies, children were reported? How many were found? You will see it's a huge number. Every city, it's a huge number. Where do they go? So there is a network of these wicked, evil people that is happening with women, feudophilia with children, and the sacrifice of children. And that's how power comes. God will One day God will say it's enough. That's what he's talking about the days of Noah, when every thought and inclination of man is evil. When it's towards evil, you want to go in the way of evil. But to do that evil, you need power. And when you need power, the only way you can do is by sacrificing the innocent ones to get that power. And that's when God said, enough. And he found only eight people worthy to take out. And the world will come to that point. It's coming to that point. And that's why we are fighting an existential battle towards the last days. Because in the church, I don't believe the church. I don't believe most pastors. I don't want to even listen to most of them because I don't trust them. I don't trust, especially sign and wonders fellows. I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. Because many of them have a history of coming from that background and I don't trust them at all. That's why when, that's why I never go for a pastor's fellowship or anything. If I go, I teach and I come back. People ask me, why don't you? I said, I don't want to go. I don't tell them the reason. I said, I don't know. There might be two crooks sitting over there who must have come from the lodge. I don't want a fellowship with them. I'll stick to what God has given me. The pastors I know who are clean and to my church, I'm fine. I'm fine. And there were lots in our own churches in the old, in our own church in the old days who had a history. I prayed every one of them out. Every one of them out. They all had a history of being part of it. Every one of them is out now. If you are hearing, repent. That's why you are in a mess. This is the truth. This is the truth. If you have any doubts, go to Secunderabad. Go to YWC and see what is. They shut it down. But they have other places where they gather. How, how old is the Lord? The Lord's over there is older than most churches in the city. 
No, what's it? And this is a reality which people don't. And that's what you are fighting for in U.S. Number third is a battle between these two forces. <laughs> and why are they after? Always, always you have to come back to Trump. No, why are they after him? Because he's not part of the circle. He's the first U.S. president, probably in their 345 years of history. He probably is the first president who is not an active Freemason. Probably the first president. From George Washington down to the last man before him, all are Freemasons. He's probably the first man they are not able to control. So they have unleashed every power of darkness, everything they can at him to take him down. Because he is a threat to them. They control over power. That's why we pray for him. That's why we pray for him. Never in U.S. history have you seen the witches and the wizards coming out in the open and casting spells on the White House and doing all kinds of rituals to bind it. They're out in the open. And what's the church doing? Why is one portion of the church so vehemently against him? Because of his tweets? Or is it because you guys are also part of it? That's my question. Why are you so much against him? Why are you so much against him? Is it because he makes... I mean, why should I, a church leader be upset about somebody's tweet about somebody? It doesn't bother me. Everybody tweets. It's not his tweets. It's got something else. You too. And you go check the record of these church leaders, you will see. They have compromised on a lot of fundamental issues of God. And you will know why they compromise. Because they too are from the circle. You are from the circle. So we need to understand the world we are living in and where we are moving in. That's what I said. Number third, we don't know which way it will turn. Which way it will turn. I'll just give you initials. I will not call you by names. I'll give you initials. If you got wisdom, I'll give you the names of one, two, three, three, six, seven people. Okay? Seven people. If you can figure it out, it's a quiz competition. I'm only giving you initials. AS, CS, JN, HC, BO, JB, and KH. I've given you the name of five wizards and two witches. They are known to everybody. That's where the world is going into. These are all puppets. These are all puppets. If you look at the democratic nomination of all, these are all puppets. It's not decided by the party or anything. It's decided by people behind who is going to be their candidate. The only candidate who ever became nominated, which nobody ever expected, was Trump. (laughs) Nobody expected him to win that nomination. Nobody expected him to be the president. (laughs) Even he didn't know three years back he was going to be, like six years back he would even come. When he came down the escalator, everybody laughed. Okay, so I believe it was a sovereign move of God to put this man over there to give the church some breathing space to get as many people in and open the eyes of the people to know who is false and who is true, who is a pastor and who is not a ma- who is a master. Master to show, and if you cannot see, God have mercy on you. So these children who are writing and all, they know what he's talking about. They know what happens over there. They know they were all victims about. It. I don't know these people. They write letters to. So they are, they have inside knowledge and they are mad. They are mad. 
They're saying all these ladies are now suing for a part of his estate and compensation. Why are they coming now after he is dead? Why didn't they do it? Well, that's how it, it happens. They had no control. Because you are controlled by puppets and altars. All kind of things are happening. There's too much stuff behind it. But that's not the forum for that. But I'm just giving you an opener. This is what happens. And if the church does not know this and doesn't know how to fight this, you'll be totally ineffective in the last days. You cannot fight without knowing your enemy. You do not know. There was a Spanish general. I always tell you the Spanish general was there when he was asked. He was, he was attacking the city. So when they asked this question, how do you over, how do you plan to conquer the city? He says, I got one column coming from the north, one coming from the west, one coming from the east, and one I'm coming sorry. from the south. Mm-hmm. But I'm expecting to take the city because of the fifth column. They asked him, what is the mm-hmm. fifth column? He said, they are my people inside. The enemy doesn't know. That's how you have the term, the fifth column. And you need to realize the world is controlled by the fifth column. The Antichrist has his fifth column everywhere embedded. They are respectable people. They have three-piece suit. They look smart. They are billionaires. They are rich. They are eloquent. They are all that. And many of them have clerical collars too. That's his fifth column. And that's our enemy, not the people. That's our, our enemy, our people don't know what to do. They're like the children of Israel during Elijah's time. They're caught between two opinions. Either follow God or follow Baal. Today you should say Baphomet. Follow Jesus or Baphomet. And they said nothing. Because they don't know to choose. But there are a few hundred others standing on the hill against Elijah. Those are the enemy. So when the fire falls, the people fall on their face. The Bible does not say the prophets fell on their face. They did not fall on their face. Elijah took them down to the valley of Kishon and executed them. And in the same way, when we pray, we pray for the fire to fall upon these people so that the people will be free. And I don't care who dies in the rituals. It's not my call. My call is to call down fire and let them die and go or come out. The people have to be set free. This is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And this is, you read the book of Ezekiel, you will see the same thing happening yes. over there. The 70 elders doing all the occult inside so the, the temple. temple. And Ezekiel has no clue. Ezekiel probably in, probably, probably in the previous night was praying for the elders. And God says, wait a second. <laughs> Come here, my servant. Let me show you these elders. Probably in his heart he had this thing about the temple and the elders. He said, you really want to know what they do in the night? Daytime they have all these sacrifices, everything. No, night, do you know what they do? I'll show you do. And he was shocked. What was that? A modern type of ancient ritual going on. Yes, yes. Over there. Same thing. Nothing has changed. There's no other way man can get power. There's only two sources of power. Either you go to the occult or you go to God. And God's way is difficult. Because it demands his righteousness and his holiness and his ways. But devil's way is easy. It is easy. That's how the ruler, the prince of this world, rules over this world. It is through men and women. And it has to be a power encounter. Moses and Aaron, when they went to Pharaoh's presence, it had to be a power encounter. Unless they encountered the magicians of Egypt, they cannot set the people free. And the church doesn't understand it. Until you deal with these powers of darkness represented by men and women in their covens, you cannot get the church free. Church is not going to be free. You have to deal with them. You have to deal with them. And you have to deal with them. And God has given us that power to deal with them. We can be simple people. But in our prayer closet, the kingdom of God advances by violence. This is the first time you are seeing it on live TV how we pray. But this is how we pray every day. It's how we pray every day. 
If imagine 10,000 people, 20,000 people, 100,000 people, 1 million believers understand it, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts praying this way, what will happen? What would happen? Suddenly the tide would change. Because if we don't win there, we don't win here. Remember? Amalek. When Moses' hands came down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands went up, Joshua prevailed. The battle is being fought there. People are all looking over there. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with that. If these hands come down, the enemy will win. If this hand stays up, the church will win. People don't realize the church is built on the intercession of his saints. And the saints are violent people. Spiritually violent. Maybe timid old woman of 79 years on her knees. But she's spiritually violent. Spiritually violent people. They are not physically violent. They must the most nice, timid people you meet on the road. But they are spiritually violent people who will call down fire. Amen. That's the lesson God told Elijah. After finally, he's, before he goes by, 50 soldiers come and says to the king, he says, if I am the servant of God, let fire come down. He said, five more. If I am the servant of God, a third fellow said, please, sir, have mercy. Elijah, Elisha begins that way. Elijah ends that way. When he comes on, some of those boys in the town say, baldy, baldy, he said, Deal with them. Bear came and dealt with 50 or 60 of them straight away. That's Elisha anointing. What are the pictures put over there? You need to fight these battles under the anointing. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Amen. And we are not afraid. Hallelujah. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of the, the, word of the testimony, and the third no. thing, they did not love, love their, their lives, lives even unto death. Amen. Okay? Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, we know, Lord, the church has the power to hasten your coming. Help us, help us, help us, help us to die to self, to keep the king and the kingdom above everything else, oh, Lord. And everyone who's listening and tuning in, Father, I pray, if they have been part of the circle, they would repent. Amen. And if they are not, they would ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That they would fight this battle in their prayer closets, oh Lord. One can put a thousand to flee, two can put ten thousand, Lord. Oh Father, I pray, Lord. Your people would be joined in the spirit and fight this battle. And especially those who came out of it, oh Lord. Would be compassionate and would cry out for the others who are caught in that trap. Others, girls and women, caught. So they would break those chains and come out, oh Lord. And every day there would be rejoicing in heaven as you see your children coming home, O oh God. Death does not scare us, for death is victory for your children, Lord. We pray, Father, there would be a move of the Holy Spirit in these last days, O oh Lord. Filling your people, filling the babies, the children, the young, the old. O oh, Spirit of God, fill us, O oh Lord. Break us, mold us, cleanse us and fill us, O oh God that an army of God will arise in the spiritual realm who will fight this battle till the end, O oh Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Speak your peace and your rest into every heart, every soul, Lord. Pray the hand of God would rest upon everyone. Comfort for those who are troubled, peace for those who are restless, healing for those who are sick, and strength for those who are weak, O oh Lord. Be with each one, Lord. And go with us, go before us, O oh Lord. Thank you for being with us through this day. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.